State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this special edition episode, we speak with John Shihada, Global VP, Audience Development Strategy and CRM at Condé Nast, and Barry Adams, founder at Polemic Digital about news SEO and their upcoming news and editorial SEO summit. Let's begin. Hi guys, we've got a special edition of the SODP podcast. We're also doing a video recording this session. Big topic, covering Google News SEO in general, and Barry and John are covering uh, one of a kind event, News SEO event that's going to be taking place in 10 days from now of this recording. So let me briefly introduce you to Barry and John. So Barry is the founder of Polemic Digital, is an independent consultant and also running an infrequent newsletter called GoogleNewsForSEO.com. John is wearing many hats. He's got several products, uh, G, G Dash, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, G Dash. G Dash. Yeah, Google Discover uh, tool. He's also got News Dash, which is a Google News optimization tool. And he's the VP of Audience Development and CRM at Condé Nast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Let's get straight into it. So recent news, Google announced their new product, Google Curate, which I think is going to help curate a lot of the news products. What are you guys hearing internally from, I guess, publisher point of view internally? And then what are you hearing, Barry, in terms of other consultants and other publishers from an agency side? But Barry, why don't you start? Well, what the noise that I'm hearing is one of, of concern and worry, if anything, because the way Google has phrased the announcement for the Curate tool is that they're going to be relying very heavily on machine learning systems to curate the news automatically to a large degree. And people from a publishing background are skeptical of you know, machine systems curating news. It, it's something that they feel needs to be done manually because news is very context dependent. It can be very sensitive. And machine systems historically haven't been particularly good at that sort of stuff, at automatically surfacing, you know, factually accurate news sources when it comes to breaking news, when things are moving very quickly. It's, I mean, even Facebook and Twitter have sort of thrown in the towel on that front and uh, do a lot of manual yeah. curation when it comes to breaking news. Uh, so for Google to say, oh, we're going to automate this, it's, um, yeah, a lot of people have been raising a few eyebrows at that and, and are concerned about it. And it shows that Google has quite a lot of faith in their machine systems to properly understand when a story is breaking and what uh, what kind of stories they can surface in regards to that, that breaking development. So I just hope that Google will closely monitor the accuracy and success of Curate when they launch it and mm -hmm. perhaps are able to interfere when the machine systems get it wrong because Historically, Google hasn't had a great deal of success when it comes to filtering out fake news. They've had to do a lot of manual interruptions in, in search results and in news stories as well. Non-authoritative or even fake news sources ended up in, in top stories, carousels, and in Google News. So, yeah, it's a bit, uh, we're looking at this with a bit of trepidation at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you on the point, particularly for non-English sites as well, that are still getting away with those type of things as well. John, what do you think from there? I mean, I agree with Barry, right? So I have mixed feelings, but more on the on the negative side, to be honest with you, right? So everything that Barry mentioned, right? 
misinformation, fact checking, and so on. My second concern is like, will this be a destination, another destination that fights for clicks from from like an audience with the publishers, right? Like if you think about like the travel destinations and now they are like on the top of every travel search. And now it's like you're looking for Mexico travel, Google takes you to their own curated Mexico travel page, right? Which is taking another click away from the, the sites. My third concern is how will this evolve, right? Is, is Google becoming a publisher? And Google for the longest time said, no, we're not publishers. We're there to organize the words, information, and so on. But it feels day after day that Google is moving slowly into this kind of a role, which I don't think it's the right place for Google or the best place for Google. And my fourth concern is like with machine learning, we have seen this in title rewrites recently, right? So you see like writers who have been mastering the craft, right? Of titles and, and writing stories and fact checking, right? Two sources at least on every story and so on. And then you see machine learning coming and like rewrite the whole title, right? So I'm not sure, these are all concerns, but if it's a tool that helps writers to provide more information about breaking news or news and where did it first report it and all that stuff, then it, it could be a great thing. It could be another tool in, in, in author's arsenal, right? To get more information quickly from the web around topics and stuff. But I feel there's more concerns around this new tool than like uh, more cons than pros. Yeah, definitely. I've even heard stuff like, this is like the next iteration, like with Discover and the uh, curation. It's like the next generation of Google Profile Plus, like their social discovery mechanism, yeah. I guess. But that's, we can go on this topic in hours and hours. Next thing that has recently happened is obviously a couple of months has gone by since AMP has no longer become a requirement of top stories. What are you guys seeing from your end on that? John, I'll, I'll probably get you to start because you've got more data with your tools on this, I guess. Yeah, I have been following this very closely, right, uh, from a data perspective. So for the longest time, non-AMP URLs were about anywhere from 6 to 8%, right? This is based on just the share of URLs and top stories, right? When this announcement made, it jumped up to like maybe 10 to 12%. Right now, we're stable for like almost like five weeks around anywhere from 24 to 27%. And it has been at that level for about four or five weeks. A big part, what I would say, maybe not a big part, uh, I would say out of the 25%, the 5% are sites that originally or traditionally never had M before, right? So these are the sites. Now, the majority of other sites, the interesting part is like they have both AMP and non amp mm -hmm. And Google is making some choices, and I haven't dug deeper into this, on selecting AMP versus non-AMP. So some sites completely disabled AMP. I think Dan Smolin will talk a lot about this and his uh, uh, experience and tests and how it benefited the business side of things, even that traffic you know, uh, fluctuated in the like one direction and then bounced back. But this is so far from a data perspective, it's about 25 to 26%. And most of these sites have AMP still. Interesting. Interesting. 
Barry, what are you seeing from them? Are you suggesting maybe clients to remove them or are they still keeping them? What are your thoughts? I know you've got your famous yeah. article, <laughs> I've got to help, but <laughs> what, are you, what are you suggesting at the moment? Yeah, on that article note, I used to rank first for what is Google AMP, but Google took that ranking away from me after a couple of months. So uh, unfortunately, I'm not number one for that anymore. I, I have had conversations with clients that are fed up with the parallel development track that AMP represents for them and the extra resources they have to commit to it. And more and more are leaning towards deleting AMP. I advise my clients, and I do this through gritted teeth, to be very careful with that, to do it in phases, uh, and maybe even to wait and see. Uh, but the initial signals that I do see are actually quite positive in that when a client removes AMP the correct way and just, you know, deletes AMP, uh, removes the 3.1, puts in 3.1 redirects from uh, AMP to non-AMP and just uh, basically cleans it up the proper way, they're not seeing big drops in traffic off the back of that. They're, they're, they're seeing either static traffic or growing traffic even off the back of that. It doesn't seem to impact the visibility in top stories. It doesn't seem to impact the visibility in Google Discovery and Google News. So, but that's anecdotal. And like I said, uh, it's. I still feel that in some areas, Google has a preference for AMP pages versus non-AMP. But it is, you know, I think what we are seeing now is the, the slow death of AMP which makes me a very happy man indeed, because there was always Google's vision of the web being forced down everybody else's throat. And, you know, it was the carrot and stick approach with a very, very heavy stick and a very small carrot because monetization on AMP has always been a problem. Paywalls on AMP have always been a problem. And you can be logged into your, your subscription website in the normal browser, but with AMP, you only get the get the parser version of an article because it's just not joined up. The login is not joined up. The, the technology to make it happen is very complicated. It's just a pain in the ass for, for publishers to implement AMP in such a way that it doesn't cause problems with either monetization or, you know, user experience. And um, yeah, the signal so far looking good, you know, that that percentage of non-AMP in Top stories is, I think, primarily because few publishers have turned it off yet. But I think the more and more publishers will turn off AMP, the more and more the non-AMP percentages in top stories in Google News will grow. And uh, I think it'll be an, a snowball effect that once a few have done this, the rest will very quickly follow because it costs money to maintain an AMP development track that developers, that the publishers really should be spending on other things. Yeah. I think, well, I, think I mean, sorry, Barry, it's like, so me and uh, Barry keep uh, back and forth on this topic, right? Uh, I think Barry is is very clear on his view on AMP. For me, is like I feel as an SEO, I'm programmatic. Uh, no, uh, uh, what's the word? Is like agnostic to whatever gets me there, right? If AMP is the tool, like I think when AMP first came out, Condi Nast, I was one of the very first companies to get it when it was only RSS feeds. That was back in February 2018 or something. Mm -hmm. Because you sometimes the opportunity lies into how fast you can get to utilize a certain platform, right? Or a certain channel or a certain methodology. Now, I, I totally agree with Barry and all like, you know, uh, different code base, rewriting the web standards and all of that, right? But you have to remember that from a UX perspective and user experience for a second, right? Publishers traditionally have the worst page speed and performance in the web, right? Like if you talk, uh, compare them to commerce sites, right? Day and night, for example, right? 
So for users, for a lot of users, this was a sudden improvement of that UX, right? I agree with Barry about the monetization aspect, but I, I can tell you that monetization, there is different aspects of monetization. If you're talking about subscriptions, yes, they don't convert well, right? Mobile and desktop, even better conversion for subscriptions than AMP. But now, if you optimize your AMP templates well, I can tell you that AMP templates perform better when it comes to monetization for ad display and for affiliates. Yeah. Way better. A scale is a big part of it and so on, right? So there are different cases. But again, I agree with Barry, you have to test and you have to test in phases, right? And you have to test different sections and you have to look at the user experience and so on. But for me, I'm just agnostic. Whatever works best for the user and for the for the publisher, that's usually what we do. I want to take always said that, that that AMP has has that purpose as well. It does improve load speed, it does improve usability for a lot of users. But Google has always had other mechanisms at their disposal to encourage publishers to do that. And I think what has actually happened is that with the introduction of Core Web Vitals, Google now actually realizes, you know what, we don't need AMP anymore to, to force people to build better user-friendly websites. We can just make Core Web Vitals a stronger ranking signal, which yeah. is exactly what they've done. So now even Google thinks, you know what, we don't need AMP anymore. We can use other metrics that aren't specific to top stories, that aren't specific to publishers, but we can encourage all websites everywhere to encourage, which makes life simpler for Google as well, um, which has hastened the demise of AMP for sure. Um, I've, I've never said AMP was bad user experience, but at the same time, AMP has always been a cheating way to improve load speed because Google preloads and pre-renders the AMP articles in the background, which for me feels like, you know, it's, it's always been endemic to AMP that it, you're not really looking at the publisher's website, you're looking at Google's cast version of the AMP article. Yes. Which, which is part of the problem of why as a standard, I think was so deeply flawed that you're basically borrowing space on Google's ecosystem. Whereas what you need to be doing as a publisher is make your audience loyal to you so that they actually skip Google entirely and go directly to your website. And app doesn't allow publishers to easily do that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually experienced this myself where we follow the best practices in removing app, but, and it was showing in search console that good URLs are, it doesn't give you clear signals of what a good URL is. So when you remove that, it and, and even though you've improved your overall core web models of your website, published website, it still dropped overall because they didn't provide the proper signals. I think that the reporting aspect still has to improve in order for publishers to consider removing AMP or not. But yeah, what are your overall thoughts on such console reporting at now and where that's up to, Barry? Oh, it's, it's massively improved. Um, yeah. I still lament the demise of the new specific crawl errors we used to get in the old webmaster tools. Yes. Once that was approved in Google News, you got those new specific crawl errors. Uh, they, they're never going to come back, but I love them. They were very, very useful for analyzing problems with them, calling and indexing on news publishers' websites. But reporting in Service Console has massively improved. The crawl stats report is... Brilliant. And whoever at Google came up with that, I want to buy them a beer or wine or another beverage of their choice because I love the report and it's pointed me at so many underlying issues at so many of my clients that you didn't even realize was an issue that all kinds of crawl budget was being wasted in all kinds of different areas because we never had that level of visibility. The core of vital support is, is increasingly useful. 
the, the index coverage report is increasingly useful. Um, it, yeah, it, I think for for all websites, not just publishers, but for all websites, that Search Console is so so incredibly valuable and so incredibly useful. The only problem I have in that it is, in terms of performance, it's fairly useless for publishers because the data is two or three days old. And that's where tools like uh, NewsDash from John come into play. You need that sort of a live monitoring tool as a publisher to see how you're doing, what you're covering and what you're missing. And um, yeah, but that's a very specific niche news, uh, news specific use case that most websites won't suffer from. Mm -hmm. And I agree with Barry. Like I remember Google Search Console three years ago and compare it to now, right? It's like, wow, it's like, the UX is beautiful. The amount of data we get, it's not just a couple of charts on index like or index rates or like means nothing and everyone's confused about it. Now you actually have some actionable insights, a lot of actionable insights. And I, I would argue, I don't know if Barry agrees with me or not, that it becomes one of the important technical SEO elements, similar to like Botify and Screaming Frog and all these great tools. It's one of the things that you have to dig deep because there's a lot of discoveries. But on the other end, I would say that, yes, they introduced Google Discover, they introduced Google News, but the data, the power of the data is when you can manipulate it outside the tool, right? Google Search Console, right? When you start blending data around. I asked John Mueller multiple times, when are we going to have Discover and News in the APIs? I was like, you guys need that. It was like, I was surprised by the answer, to be honest with you. I love John Mueller. He done so much for the community. But the question is like, yes, definitely, we need that. It's like, this is how you can take the data, blend it with everything else, and then you come with a lot of insights that you can get from Google Search Console. So I think data accessibility and data mobility, right, where I can take it from Google Search Console and just export it through APIs and so on, that will be a great, a great, much needed addition to Google Search Console. Yeah, okay. yeah, I fully agree. On the note of it being valuable and crucial, I do not start a client project until I have Search Console access. I cannot do like an audit on a website without Search Console. It's just, you're just stabbing in the dark without it. And one thing that I'm also missing in terms of the actual reporting, and I'm not sure Google can even solve this, but it would be nice if they can, is separate top stories carousels out from regular organic search results in the performance report. Right now it's all heaped together and you have to do a bit of, of, of uh, exporting and smart analysis of your own. Like any article traffic in the first 48 hours is probably top stories, not entirely sure, but with a higher degree of confidence, most of that will be top stories traffic and not regular search traffic after 48 hours. You know, articles drop out of top stories usually, and any organic traffic is usually then regular organic traffic. But it would be great if we had a filter in the performance report that yes. allowed us to separate the top stories carousel visibility from a regular organic search result. Yeah, that's awesome important. to be a part of the search appearance, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's true. That's true. What do you guys think at the moment as some of the things that are pressing for either your clients or within? content that's particular, like, is it the Google Discover? Is this, what are the main things that is crucial? So I think a few things. I think one industry-wise, I think having a technical SEO resource in the house is must be, must have, right? And I love that the industry has matured so much. Now we have commerce SEOs, Amazon SEOs, 
technical SEOs, content SEOs, right? Now you know that th this industry has reached a new level. It's not a doctor. You have a speciality kind of a doctor, right? It's not an SEO. You have a speciality SEO. You have SEO analysts and data scientists and so on. So I'm very excited that our industry, after how many years, maybe 16, 18 years, right? Now we're at a point that we have all these kind of specialities. This is one. The second thing I'm excited about with caution is Google Discover. I think Google finally found their key to social, right? They have tried so many. I can't remember what was the Google product. They tried Google Wave. They tried Google... Uh, Google Plus. Google Plus. Plus. Google yeah, and so Google on, right? Google, yeah, Google Plus. Yeah, uh, yes, right? So I think with Discover, we have seen a lot of engagement, but again, it's not very reliable, right? And that's why we see like hundreds of, of complaints. It's like, oh, I lost all my Google Discover, and then people started digging into it. So there's not a lot of information. Hopefully I can shed some light on the, on the conference about all the different ways to optimize and the mysteries about recovery and so on. I have a nice case study there. Uh, these are the big ones. And I would throw out there, it's not Google, but I think Facebook News gonna be, it's, it's a prediction of mine, gonna be Google Discover for next year. I think a lot of publishers are already getting a ton of traffic from Facebook News. It's hard to uh, track, but this is gonna be a big thing next year. So we, uh, we're excited about that too. That's also, the, uh, that's, dependent on them actually getting a deal from Facebook in order to be... Yes, it has to be whitelisted. Yeah, that's, that's always going to be a challenge for small publishers, for sure. Yes, yes. Barry, what about you? Like, what are you looking at at the moment? Like, what's exciting you at the moment? Yeah, I agree with John on the, the specialties within SEO. It's, it's nice to see people choosing to specialize in certain areas of SEO. It's increasingly common that clients have, have big in-house SEO teams that have really good uh, built-in capabilities. Those for me are the perfect clients to work with as well. They know exactly where an external consultant like myself would fit in and, and, and uh, what the value they can get from that. There's very little I have to educate the client on in, in those sorts of engagements. Technical SEO in itself is sort of shifting the gears a little bit. And if I'm entirely honest, it's probably becoming at the same time more complicated and easier, more complicated because there's more layers in the technology stack and more things that can go wrong. And easier at the same time because Google is getting more robust at dealing with that sort of crap when the website just does things a bit differently. You know, JavaScript, clients like JavaScript used to be a huge problem. It's less of a problem nowadays. I wouldn't say it's entirely a non-issue, but it, it, it's less of an issue than it used to be. Google is much more forgiving, much more robust in its indexing processes. I do think that Google scrolling is something that probably is still a little bit on the dumb side and they need to smarten up on that, on what to crawl and what not to crawl. There's a certain mechanisms that Google builds into when it detects changes on the website that Google then increases crawl rate to try and find out what has changed. Usually this is for the benefit of the website, like, you know, okay, a massive new code base or new section of the website. But sometimes it's an inadvertent error on this client side, like they have exposed part of the website that shouldn't be exposed. And then Google starts calling this because it's new content. And that can lead to long-term problems with the website. So it's uh, it's an interesting field to be in at the moment in technical SEO, uh, especially for larger scale websites. And the maturity of the industry as well, like John also said, it's just good that there's more and more people who have a wealth of experience in SEO and also lots more young practitioners stepping into it from a wide variety of backgrounds. 
that are really adding to the industry and, and adding their voices to the industry. It's not all the same tired faces we see at conferences and we see writing blog posts and and, uh, and being active on social media. There's a lot of entire new generation stepping up, which I find very refreshing. You have a lot of new ideas and new different backgrounds as well. And a lot of these go in-house as well, you know, I think the, the uh, embracing of SEO as a, as a proper in-house discipline for large companies is testament to how far we've come, that it, it, people do take it seriously, companies do take it seriously. You see SEO listed on IPO statements for companies yeah. that go public. Like, yeah. uh, you know, we have great organic search traffic, a strong SEO department, and they, they, it's seen as a business asset. You know, it's long gone, hopefully, are the days where people see there's a black art and, you know, just uh, tricking Google. And I think the companies oh, yeah. who still have that mentality are the ones that are going to find themselves found out in the long run. I only, you know, the only risks I really see is that Google is too dominant and there's not enough competition there. And I also think that, you know, no matter how critical I am of Google, I do think they try things from the, the best of perspectives, the best of intentions. And I think there is a big chance that we're going to see some pretty heavy-handed regulation step in to the search market to try and break up Google's dominance. And I think there might be a lot of unforeseen consequences from that regulation that don't necessarily benefit news publishers or, or websites in general. I think there might be some pain on the horizon from the unintended consequences of heavy-handed regulation being slapped on Google. Now, I do think Google probably needs regulated to some extent, but I don't necessarily trust the regulators to do that in the best way possible. I mean, at the end of the day, Google is a business, right? And and they do the best, whatever the best for them as a business, right? And if the past aligns with the community, helping the community, right? They definitely do it. They give information, right? But at the end of the day, it's a business. They're running the business, right? And I would say the biggest risk is the publishing industry overall, right? With more and more traffic, it's getting cheaper day after day, right? There's like, what does it mean to get 1 million versus 2 million? For most of the publishers, it's the same thing, right? Because display as a revenue source is, is not that much, right? So subscriptions, right? And to have a subscription business, you need a really good, unique content. So you're going to be left with very niche publishers that have content that no one else has, and people are willing to pay for it, right? And you're going to be left with very big publications or groups, right, of publishers and magazines and stuff that can't afford to stay in the business because they have these massive deals and so on. Now, everyone in between, right, where all what they're serving is the same content and same news as everyone else, there is no incentive for the user to pay for that news, right? And they can find it from a different hundred other sources, right? So I have the fear for the industry, right? Especially for the new publishers that they keep screaming and say, hey, we did everything right and we can still show up in Google, right? Or Google News or Google Top Stories, right? There is not much space for them and there is not much clarification on what's missing or how can to get there. And Barry and I, this is a topic that we speak about all the time, right? So the path to get into Google for new publishers is also, is like, it's not very clear. It's very vague and very few actually can get yeah. there. So. I think if you're a new publisher, your 
intermediate, I wouldn't say even say long-term goal, your, your intermediate term goal is to get bought out by a big publishing company. That is your long-term survival strategy. And you see this happening uh, in the UK, new scientist, a, a science-based publisher was bought over by the Daily Mail Group. Uh, Politico recently bought over by Axel Springer. This is a natural consequence of, of the marketplace we are in at the moment where scale is everything. And a small individual niche publishers cannot survive unless they become part of a bigger organization that has economies of scale as well, that they can lean on each other and, and learn from, from the different outlets that they have. We're going to see yeah. more mergers and more acquisition, right? Dot Dash Absolutely. and Merd, right? Just recently, a couple of days ago, or like last week, right? So a lot of yeah, and that, 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 that has a threat for the plurality of media in general. And I'm a big fan yeah. of having different voices in media. Um, and also it's sort of, uh, yeah, it doesn't necessarily bode well for the industry's health in the long, long term, like next 15, 20 years. Yeah. I think as well, like there's another stream where there's publishers that are trying to generate multiple revenue streams. Like, you know, this, this year there's been a big emphasis on e-commerce, a lot of people creating shops and stuff like that. Do you feel like that's going to be somewhat enough to help them at least sustain themselves and in terms of skill set as well, like you guys spoke about more about each publishers are becoming specialists, but I think even within teams, like I was even listening to an, another podcast around how Future has like an e-commerce team and they have a, you know, they have the editorial team. Like, is that, and I guess John could speak towards that more specifically as well. Like, is that something that SEOs have to also become T-shaped as well, or they can yeah. specialize in multiple areas as well? So when you look at the different revenue streams for a publisher, right? Historically, display ads were the biggest chunk of the business, right? And some publishers had print as well, right? And as we go forward, right, it's like both these two streams are going down less by the day. It's still a very considerable amount and big chunk of the revenue, but in five years from now, it's a whole different story. Then start publishers start looking for their alternative revenue streams. So you have subscriptions, and you see New York Times figured out this early on, right? It was like subscription-based, uh, loyal fan base, and so on, right? Commerce, which you just touched on, or, or, or affiliate, is becoming a very important revenue stream for so many publishers. Some do it better than others, right? Some have more resources for it. There are events, right? There are other types of stuff that they can do. Uh, but I, I feel that commerce unless Google kills it somehow, right? Remember, it's like, especially around commerce and affiliate, there is this hate-love relationship with Google. Affiliate sites, they surface in Google, and then for a year, they're completely gone, and then they back in again. So, but with publishers, is a perfect fit because it's driven by editorial, not by revenue, right? And from an editorial, what are the best products that got reviewed? and trusted and the users trust that kind of review. So I think it's a best fit between publications or publishers and uh, commerce. So I think it's gonna grow in importance over the next years, unless Google does something drastic that eliminates yeah. its visibility. I think that is exactly the risk yeah, well. that, that, that Google's going to penalize having affiliate links in your content. And, and John also said it as well, it has to align with the editorial specialty of the company and editorial independence. I think yes. the moment 
not just Google, but the moment users start to suspect that the content is aligned with commercial goals rather than actually providing, you know, proper independent reviews, proper independent insight, that's when things start to go downhill very, very quickly. So yeah, yeah it, affiliate works great as a supplementary business model for publishers, but they have to be very careful not to milk that cow too dry and and to sort of pollute the well uh, to an extent. Where do you guys see the, um, you know, does the yearly conference Google had and they had that image discovery and how that blending comes into that as well amongst other tech updates? Like, you know, you expressed the concern Barry about that not overdoing that because it's going to impact you. Like, what do you think is the new paradigm then with some of the things that they're testing out now? And is this something that you guys are hearing as well, like things that publishers are testing out? Yeah, I've, I've told several of my publishing clients to be more uh, aware of how the images get picked up by Google. I mean, historically, we've always said Google doesn't see an image, they just see the alt attribute, the file name, the caption text, that sort of thing. Yeah. I think we're stepping away from that. And uh, in the very near future, Google will just realize what an image actually is. And with a fairly high degree of accuracy as well, they're getting very smart at image recognition, which opens up an entirely new field as well. And you see this come to, to life a bit in image searches. If you type in the product name, you click on the image tab, you can pretty much do an image-based product search with price information and stock information available there. It'll be interesting to see how publishers can benefit from that. I think it's primarily geared towards you know, classic e-commerce, but um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting area of development as well. The same with video content, the Google starts to recognize video content and can they already do that to an extent where they can send you directly to a timestamp in a video that talks about what you're searching for as, as an end user, which opens up a wealth of potential traffic for publishers that have a lot of video content. I work with a lot of publishers who come from TV stations who just happen to have a website as well. They have more video content than they know what to do with. At the moment, it's very hard for them to turn that into a consistent source of traffic for their website. But if Google is getting smarter about picking up those videos and, and about the content in those videos, you know that is a very interesting development that they could potentially tap into if they make sure that those videos can be fully accessed by Google and Google can read the entire video. And uh, you know it becomes a, a very juicy prospect to drive more traffic to your website, to, to your, your video content especially. I think visual search is going to change completely next year, right? And I think it's going to be very powerful, right? Moving from text surrounding images to, as Barry said, the actual meaning of the image. And I think Google has another opportunity. If you think about image search, right? It's very similar to Instagram if the product is a little bit different, right? Think about it, right? It's another social platform that Google can utilize right? If they update the UX, update the product a little bit, and it has the power of search on top of everything else. I think visual search, and you can read a lot about what's going on, and there are dedicated teams now, huge dedicated teams for visual search and, and images and so on. I think next year is going to be very different from what we have this year around visual search in Google. You guys foreseeing any initiatives that you are planning for or suggest that maybe other people should try out? Uh, there is nothing out there in the public yet, but I bet Google will 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 push more and more initiatives out there to the public. I, I have to admit, I am terrible at predicting the future. I am more reactive than proactive in that those regards. But yeah, I think it's always 
interesting to keep in, an eye on like the developing of structured data standards and what Google supports and what kind of snippets that they support, because that can be a strong hint about what's coming on the near horizon. I still have big hopes for live indexing, Google's live indexing API. I hope they would do something in the course of 2020, 2021 to make that more public and more widely available rather than just for broadcast events and, and job postings. That hasn't happened. So I fear my hope may be misplaced in that regard, but I sort of want to because it makes sense on multiple levels to have a live indexing API where you proactively ping Google whenever you have new or changed content rather than just wait for Google to call it and discover it that way. Yeah. And yeah, what we just talked about, visual search becomes increasingly more important. And, uh, you know, there's something that publishers with both publishers with video and with audio content. If you have podcasts, for example, you want to make sure that you present it in a way that Google can understand it as well, because audio will be part of that that system as yes. well. Where Google can find audio snippets in, in podcasts and things like that. So the, the making that accessible and readable and callable for Google is... Uh, it's probably something you want to invest in early and not be too caught behind the curve on that. You can, you can have specific structured data for podcasts as well. So uh, the more signals you send Google that way to help them, the, the better it'll be for yourself in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a lot more to unpack or discuss, but I guess let's direct our conversation towards the upcoming event. When did you guys butt heads and decide like we have to do this kind of event and you know what's, what's the inspiration behind that? Barry and I have been speaking for, I don't know, a few years now, right? Just chit-chatting, right? Bouncing ideas back and forth and stuff like this, right? And like News Dash came this way, right? It's like, hey, I went to every tool provider out there in the market, right? I'm not going to name any names and say, hey, this is what publishers need. This is what publishers need. And no one was interested. And I said, okay, if no one wants to do it, let me do it and see how it goes. I came to Barry and said, Barry, don't you wish if there is a conference that is dedicated to news SEO, right? It's like, yes, you have the tools, but there is the knowledge. We do things in real time, very different from evergreen and stuff like this. I was like, yeah, I have the same idea. And so I was like, I said, why don't we put it together? I was like, I was really excited when Barry said, yes, let's do it, right? It's like, so I think we came together, we started putting it together. We didn't imagine it gonna come that soon. I think we started talking about it, what, a year or so ago? And uh, it still feels like it, it, it was like very soon, but yeah, that's that's about it. Um, I'm excited that Barry actually, me and Barry are bringing this to the, to the community. Uh, very excited about that. Yeah, it's always been the sort of conference I would love to attend myself. Um, you know, before that, the best we could hope for was like one or two talks at a bigger conference that yeah. might be relevant for publishers. As I remember, I did a, a talk at a conference at Istanbul, a digital zone, which is a great, great event. Really loved it. And it's one of the very first conferences that specifically has asked me to speak about Google News. Before that, all, all everybody wanted me to talk about was technical SEO. But they said, no, it's, it's a hot topic in Turkey at the moment. Can you talk about Google News? So I did. But that's rare. Most conferences cater to a broad audience of SEO practitioners and digital marketers. And news is probably a bit too niche. You know, some conferences can have one or two sessions dedicated to it, like Brighton SEO had two sessions this yeah. year that were very interesting for news publishers, but they can do that because of their scale. They're absolutely massive as a, as, as a, as a conference. So yeah, they, they have the opportunity to cater to very specific niches within SEO and within digital marketing. 
but one event dedicated specifically to SEO for news publishers that just didn't exist. And I don't think it was ever going to happen unless we made it happen. And that's what I like about Jon. When Jon sees a problem, he just goes out and fixes it. He's like, right, okay, let's do this then. Let's see how we can make this happen. So I thought, yeah, let's let's fucking do this. <laughs> Pardon my language. Let's no, let's no. see if we can make this make this happen. And it it came together fairly quickly. We had sort of yeah. a an ideal wish list of speakers. It was a fairly short list. And we thought, what if you can get even one or two of these people to, to say yes and give it all we'll be happy. And and all but one of them said yes pretty much on the spot. So you're like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant. We can actually do this. And then the ball started rolling very, very quickly. And I think John and I had a conversation back in March or April. We said, right, if you get 100, 150 tickets for this, we'll be absolutely ecstatic. And we'll break even, put on a nice event. You know, we call that a success. And I think we're closing in on 400 tickets at the moment. It's yeah. taken on a total life on its own. And nice. the support and the reception from the, the publishing community has been so positive and so supportive. We're definitely going to make this a recurring thing. There's definitely a taste for this, a market for this. There's definitely a need for this. People want to learn this stuff. They don't, they don't have anywhere to go. So, yeah, this is a... This is the start of hopefully something that will have a very long life and hopefully we can help people become better at this and understand more about what the intricacies of, of SEO for news are and make them more successful in, in their day-to-day -day work. That's, I think, uh, what we all want to achieve. So yeah. what the, sorry. We want to create a community, right, where news SEOs come together, help each other, right, share their knowledge, best practices, and so on by other news SEOs that have been doing this, right? I think this is gonna bring the community closer. We have been blessed by like amazing speakers and as Barry mentioned, like everyone yes on the spot. And then when, when I reach out to Nick Thompson, right? He is the CEO of the Atlantic. He is the he was the editor of chief for the wire, right? And I said, and I didn't know, I was telling Barry, he's like, I know the guy, he's an amazing from an audience growth, from a business and from a journalism perspective, very one of the very few people has said, I don't know, like, you know, and he said, yes, I love the idea. I want to do that, right? It's like publishers and big publishers understand the importance of SEO and audience growth overall or audience development in the future success of their publications. So I think Nick is going to be talking about an amazing topic about like the, the future of, of publishers and publications, right? And why SEO is so important to that future. So I think we're very blessed with all the speakers and with Nick, and uh, we can't just wait to uh, to have something really great for the attendees. Yeah, if you can give a quick lowdown, like what can people expect if someone's listening to this now? What can they expect from the today event? And can I get it online? And what's how can they consume it? Yeah, it's it's an online only event. You know, your ticket gives you access to the live talks. All the talks will be live. You'll be able to ask questions at the end of every talk to the, the speakers, but there will be recordings available after the event as well for all the ticket holders. So you don't have to sit on all the talks if it doesn't match your, your specific time zone or, or your, your agenda. We have a panel session as well, the Q&A, where you can ask the questions directly to a few experts as well and get direct answers from them. I mean, we have 
fantastic lineup. We have Christine Liang from the New York Times talking about the New York Times approach to SEO and how they implemented the day-to-day. -day. We have Lily Ray talking about EAT and, uh, and Google Discover. We have Dan Smolin with his independent.ae case study on, on removing AMP and what he learned from that. We have Jesse Wilms and Shelby Blackley from the uh, WTF is SEO newsletter, which I love, by the way. They were going to be talking about evergreen content and how important that is for publishers and how they can tap into that. So you sort of get a baseline of organic traffic outside of just the news cycle. And then John is going to be talking about Google Discover and all that he's learned with uh, News Dash and, and GD Dash about you know, how to optimize for Discover and, and maximize that huge traffic potential. And I'm going to stick to, to the, the horse I've been beating to death for the last 15 years, which is technical SEO, but then specifically for news publishers, which is a slightly yeah. different beast than technical SEO for normal websites. And then the closing keynote, Nick Thompson, the future of publishers and the role that SEO plays in there. I cannot wait to see that myself. The man is, is an absolute legend in the industry, so we're really lucky to have him on board as well. I mean, that roster of speakers alone, uh, I would give an arm and a leg just to be able to see them speak at an event on those topics, let alone actually be part of that event is, uh, is an absolute privilege. That's very awesome. It's exciting. Yeah, anyone who's watching, yeah, we'll be publishing this hopefully early next week, the time of the recording, so there's double time left for the event. So if anyone wants to go, newsseo.io, you can definitely go and get your tickets. And yeah, for sure, it's, it's going to be an exciting event. We're going to be covering that as well post-event, and we'll see. we'll see how it goes well. Any final words, guys, on anything that we spoke about today, even about the event? Any final words to see you guys? I just want to say thank you, Rahi, for being like a media partner on the event. I truly appreciate it, right? And I want to say thanks to all the speakers and the attendees for their trust, right? This is Barry and I, we never did a conference before. We attend, we speak, but this is the first time. So I just want to say, put it out there, like, thank you so much for your trust and hopefully we do something that really benefits the community. Yeah, yeah, same for me. I'm terrified, but uh, excited at the same time for putting this on this show. And I hope we can make it worthwhile. I'm pretty confident we will because the speakers are so good. You know, if the technology lets us down, the speakers will pick it up. We have such a quality roster. And like I said, the support and, and enthusiasm for the community has been overwhelming. And uh, we appreciate everybody who's bought a ticket, all the sponsors coming on board, all the media partners like you, Hey, It's it's such so so nice to to see this gain traction among the, the people who matter in this industry, the people who have a voice, and the people who do this stuff. And to see them be enthusiastic about it is like okay, if we can make people like Vahe enthusiastic about this, then we're obviously on the right track. So uh, yeah. I cannot wait, even though I have to say I have booked a day after the conference as an off day. I'll put my out of office on. I'll probably sleep for 15 hours uh, because uh, yeah, my nerves will be absolutely shot. Absolutely. If you're breaking it, it means I think, like you said, you're on the right track. So with that, Barry, John, thank you so much for your time and just to cover everything in general and giving us some hype on the upcoming events. So thank you, guys. Thanks, Barry. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.